We don't know who wrote Sir Gawain the Green Knight. But Mr. Anonymous wrote four things. But only the two important ones are the Pearl and Sir Gawain the Green Knight. Traditionally, we call the poet either the Gawain poet or the Pearl poet. And we try to use the Gawain poet if we're talking about Gawain. We're trying to use the Pearl Poe for talking about the Pearl. But since we're always talking about the same person, it's very common to mix them up. And so whenever I teach Sir mm-hmm. Gawain the Green Knight, I always say, hey, listen, here's the situation. We don't know this person's name. We have two terms for them. One is the Gawain poet and one is the Pearl poet. And so just know if I say the Pearl poet, I mean the Gawain poet. That's the same person. Okay. And so some years ago, I got a paper from a student. It said, Sir Gawain the Green Knight, written by famous author Pearl Poet. And they had capitalized <laughs> oh. Pearl Poet. And called the author she throughout. And I thought like, wait. Oh, man. And then a couple times called her Pearl. Misunderstood. And I'm like, okay, well, even if you thought her name were Pearl Poet. Poet said. Call her, yeah. call her Madam Poet or something. Don't call her Pearl. You aren't buddies with her. So when they cited Sir Gawain in the Green Knight, did they cite it like parentheses poet comma line <laughs> number? I mean. This is someone who's never in danger of appropriately citing something. Oh, man. <laughs> Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McEnroe, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Doc? What, Nina? Welcome back to Pop Medieval, and we're now in season three. Yay, three seasons. <laughs> we're, we're halfway to six seasons in a movie. We are, we are. It's been uh, an interesting few months off, hasn't it? Uh, well, yeah, I spent most of my <laughs> summer hiking. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah. Very li- I did very little of medieval interest over the summer. I'm afraid. We did see each other in person. That was great. Yes, we did. We did. For a brief shining moment, we uh, didn't have to think about COVID. Then we had to think about COVID again. Yes. Right. Well, it, even when we did, we had difficulty getting pizza, as I recall, because of. Uh, we did because we, of, of COVID restrictions in those days, but we managed to get pizza yeah. nonetheless, which I count as a victory. We did, and it was good pizza too, man. I miss that. I had no idea my hometown had good pizza. That was really interesting, but um, I don't know. Let's just jump right into it. What are we talking about in our season three opener? Well, uh, the one thing over the summer that sort of hit in popular culture uh, that was medieval was a film version of The Green Knight, or Sir Gawain the Green Knight. I think it's called The Green Knight. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. we'll have a forthcoming episode about that movie. We're not going to focus on the film here. But one thing that I noted, and I've seen in almost everyone's response, and people who've come up and asked me about it, is people who had read the poem had a very different reaction from people who had never read the poem. And so we thought we Mm -hmm. should maybe just talk about the poem in case either someone wanted it as a primer before they were were to watch The Green Knight or whether someone has already seen The Green Knight and isn't sure what they think about it. And they maybe read the poem, you know, in high school and they can't recall it well now. This poem did not go over well in our medieval lit class, the one that I took with you in college. I remember that very, very well. It ruffled a few feathers. A lot of people said, what is the purpose behind this poem? What is the, what is the lesson we're supposed to learn from this? And a lot of people openly expressed their dislike of it. So I I think we're going to discuss that at the end of our tale or our discussion about this poem. But I think we should really prep our listeners to see this movie first. One of my things I will often say is some works of literature are hard because they seem hard and some works of literature are hard because they seem easy 
And I think Sir Gawain in the Green Knight is one of those that seems so easy that it makes it hard sometimes to see what's going on beneath the surface. It seems like just a kind of dumb story instead of something that has got some deeper import, which obviously they made a film that mm-hmm. at least tries to get at some of the deeper import. I agree with that. So I I think let's start off with, um, can you give everyone a general overview of what Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and, and for pronunciation's sake, because I know we see the movie and there's a, a couple of different pronunciations of Gawain, but how are we supposed to pronounce the knight's name? You put the emphasis on the second syllable. <laughs> Gawain. <laughs> no, actually, that's backwards. <laughs> I just said it backwards. That's so embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to contact. Gawain. I'm going to contact my my degree granting institution and inform them. And I yes. It's, oh God! You put the emphasis on the first syllable, and so it's Gawain. Gawain. It doesn't rhyme with okay. Dwayne. It's Gawain, right? Gawain. Gawain right? Yes. Um, so yeah, it's Gawain. So the basic plot of the poem is pretty simple. It's Christmas time, and everyone's gathered in Camelot to celebrate together. And while they're there, gathered in Camelot. Uh, suddenly some crazy looking green knight comes riding in. Everything's green about him. Like not just, he's not just in green costume, but he's fantastically green. And he challenges Arthur's knights to a game. If today one of them can cut off his head and then a year later they have to come to him and let him cut off their head. And they all, you know, look at each other like this is ridiculous course if we cut this guy's we should mention that arthur's kind of asking for this too arthur's like hey can anyone tell a story or propose a game to liven this place up a little bit yes and then suddenly the green knight just kind of bursts in like i got something for everyone (laughs) yes and that's very common in arthurian legend a lot of arthurian stories the frame is arthur was having a feast and he said no one's allowed to eat until someone tells us a story and then someone shows up and tells them a story. Good job. Or Arthur. someone from outside says there are giants or something like that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in any case, so there's a little back and forth where Gawain and the Green Knight, or sorry, where, where the Green Knight taunts the Knights of Arthur because no one wants to do it. Uh, it's unclear why. Maybe because they think we're, I'm just going to chop this guy's head off in front of everyone before Christmas dinner. That seems un, un-yule tidy. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, Arthur gets mad and he's going to do it. And Gawain says, no, 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 let me do it. And so he goes and he chops the Green Knight's head off. And then the Green Knight picks up his head and says, all right, see you in a year. Come, come find me. And he takes off. Come find me at the Green Chapel. The Knight is still living after this. He just picks up his own head and says, all right, my turn next year. Uh, Which is not, I think, what Gawain was expecting to happen when he chopped this guy's head off. So we fast forward a year and Gawain realizes he's got to go off and meet this guy and get his head cut off. So he eventually gets to, he travels along without actually a lot of adventure. uh, And he arrives at really near the Green Chapel. And he arrives with this this castle with the Lord and Lady. And uh, they say, oh, you can just go there. You can stay here for the next few days until you you have to go there. So because it's right there. So he says, great. And so the Lord, Lord Bertilak says, well, let's play a little game. I love to go hunting. So every day I'm going to go hunting. And uh, when we come back, I'll give you whatever I bagged during the hunt. And you can give me something that you got that day. Whatever you bagged. Yes, whatever you bagged. Yes. So so the first day he's in bed uh, and he wakes up to find that Lady Bertilak has snuck into his room. And she says, hey, Gawain, let's do it. 
he says, no, 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 no. And, but she uh, insists on a kiss. So he kisses her and that's it. And then when Sir Bertolette comes back, he has a uh, venison. He's a deer he's killed. And so he gives him the deer and trying to be clever without re- to fulfill his end of the bargain. Uh, Gawain gives him a kiss uh, of greeting mm-hmm. was what it sh- seems like to Sir Bertilak, but he's actually giving him the kiss that his wife had given him. So the next morning he's he, he wakes up and then uh, Lady Bertilak comes in. And this time she says, hey, listen, I've heard you've got quite the reputation as the ladies man. Wouldn't you be ashamed to to not uh, sleep with me? And he says, oh, no, no, my virtue, my virtue. And so he does. And so he doesn't. Gets another kiss. This time, Lord Bertolac comes back. And this time he has a boar. So he again gives him a kiss. Thinking he's getting one over on Sir Bertolac. There is a lot of conflict with uh, Gawain here. He's like, I really don't want to offend her. But I also know that I'm in this guy's house. And I don't want to sleep with his wife. Yes. So there's both. I feel like I'm just, I'm, I'm, uh disrespecting her by rejecting her as my hostess every time she throws herself at me. But I'm also disrespecting my Mm -hmm. host by potentially sleeping with his wife. So the Mm -hmm. third day, now he's kind of hanging out in bed and she shows up and uh, she offers him uh, and again, makes the offer this time. he says no, but this time she says, well, here's this uh, green sash or girdle, depending on how it's, it's translated and this will protect you. And so he takes that. And this time when Sir Bertolette comes back, he gives him a fox he's caught and he gives him a kiss. So then he's got to go meet the green knight. He goes to meet the green knight. Uh, and the green knight says, all right, uh, I'm going to cut your head off. So get down on the ground. And so he checks his ax twice uh, as he's kind of like coming down, like he's going to hit him and he flinches. Mm-hmm. Every time he flinches, the green knight says to him, Oh, come on. Don't, don't be such a wimp. I didn't flinch when you cut my head off. You know, he tries to steal himself. And finally, the third time when the Green Knight hits him, he nicks him slightly, thus fulfilling the, the deal of the bargain. Gawain jumps up and says, aha, how about you? And the Green Knight, instead of fighting him, just laughs at him. And then the Green Knight reveals everything, which is that the Green Knight was actually Sir Bertilak all along. And wow. in fact... He knew all about the thing with his wife and it was all part of a test of him and everything that had ever happened had nothing to do with Gawain, but it had to do with this old lady who he happened to see at the castle, who was just a kind of background character, who is Morgan Le Fay, who wants to test uh, Arthur's court and his knights. And so Gawain is very upset by this. Uh, He feels like he has failed, uh, like he has been dishonored. And so he takes the green sash as his symbol and he goes back to Camelot and wears this forever as a symbol of his failure and weakness. But the rest of the people in Camelot, actually, they think this is a symbol of honor that he's done a good job. And so there's this ironic ending where everyone else starts wearing as part of the fashion a green sash or green girdle to honor him. And he's shamed by that. And that's the story of Sir Gawain the Green Knight. So this is a morality tale, right? Well, it's often read as an adventure tale, but the anonymous poet of Sir Gawain the Green Knight, who we usually just call the Gawain poet, he wrote, Mm -hmm. um, we're assuming it's it's a he, he wrote three different things. The Pearl, which is a kind of, is an allegory about 
Christian ideas, patience, which is about Christian patience, and cleanness, which is about Christian purity. So even mm -hmm. though on the surface this appears to be much more a story about just a nightly adventure story, really from the interest of this person, we can assume that it's more than that, that there's a moral interest in it. And I think it really, it really is. I agree with that because the adventure part is yada, 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 out of it. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to talk about the movie right now, but that's where the movie comes in. Yes. The movie fills in a lot of that because, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's very, it's a very short time for his adventure to, to the Green Chapel. Exactly. This takes place over the Christmas season, the Christmas to New Year's season. Mm -hmm. um, it's New Year's in the home, right? And Christmas in the... In the Middle Ages, remember. really, Christmas and New yeah. Year's were considered the same. Uh, Yule mm -hmm. would just be Christmas. Twelve days New Year's of season. Christmas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the same way we call the Christmas season, it's probably a better way to think about it. Yeah, and so there's not a lot of time to get from, I'm assuming there's not a lot of time to get from Camelot to the Green Chapel. But it's a year later in the poem, and I think it's supposed to be a year later in the film, too. But maybe I'll, I'd have to rewatch yeah. that to see. It's the next Christmas, the George Michael Christmas. <laughs> What is it telling us? Well, that's a good question. That's a yeah. good question. And because here's the problem. The problem is there are a lot of conflicting things about how ironically we're supposed to take what happens and what what doesn't. And mm -hmm. when I when I say I was at a conference one time where I saw two well-regarded Arthurian scholars very nearly get into a fist fight. I mean, there was shoving. Over how <laughs> over how to read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, whether it's ironic mm -hmm. or not, uh, I, that's not a figure of speech. I thought there was going to be a fistfight breaking out, mm -hmm. which is why really medieval com academic conferences are the best. So here's here's part of the problem. At the very beginning, Gawain is sitting in a place of relative honor, and when he says, "Oh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to take care of this problem for you, Arthur." And I'm going to do it because I'm your the weakest of your knights. I'm the youngest of mm -hmm. your knights. It isn't clear whether he means that ironically, uh, because he isn't and everyone knows it, but he's using some false modesty, or if it really is the early part of his life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, later on, we have some other mixed messages. So, for example, during the second temptation by Lady Birdlack, he says, or she says, oh, I've heard all about your reputation, Gawain. And in fact, in Arthurian legend, Gawain has this reputation as being a Lothario. There are a whole ton of great Arthurian romances that start, you know, that start out. Gawain and Knight X were riding along together, and then suddenly Gawain saw uh, an attractive tavern wench, uh, and he said, <laughs> "I'll see ya." And then the other guy went on by himself and fought a bunch of giants or whatever. And then right at the very end. When uh, Gawain has, when the plot needs it, Gawain shows up again. And goes, oh well, I was done with her. He is not one of these knights who has a lady who he whom he's faithful to ever. And so when the okay. when, when Lady Bertilak says to him, oh, I've heard your reputation, mm -hmm. it feels like he's already older and he already has this reputation. But previously, all through these temptations, he also really seems to be inexperienced. Uh, he doesn't really know mm -hmm. how to handle this woman. And they... He's green. <laughs> he is green in that sense, yes. Mm -hmm. When Lady Bertilak says, basically, the knight I've heard about would definitely would have slept with me, everyone who's read other stories with Gawain kind of agrees with that. Mm -hmm. So we don't know how much he's growing and how much, he's, how much he has false modesty and he's got to learn better. 
or how much mm-hmm. this is about him growing up as a knight from being a kind of baby knight to the great knight he becomes. Okay, so that gives credence to the argument that this is to be read ironically then. Well, yes. I, I, as I said, there are, it's complicated. There are, there is lots of evidence mm-hmm. on both sides. So definitely the ending has an irony to it, but what the irony is, is unclear. So mm-hmm. for example, when he gets to the end, is he ashamed because he's had a false humility and now he has gained a real humility and that's why he is honored. Mm-hmm. Or is this the thing he's going to carry with him? He was a baby knight. And now this is the thing he's going to carry with him and the shame he's going to be fighting against the rest of his life uh, that, that will cause him to become the great knight that that he is. Um, sure, certainly everyone else yeah. at Camelot thinks that he did, that he was honorable. And even Sir Bertilak says, no, no, you did good. You just screwed up a little bit. And that's why you got the mm-hmm. nick. You should have given me the green girdle. And also, I think the uh, the thing with the green girdle is also part of what makes it hard to understand it. Because, well, if he has the green girdle, it's supposed to protect him. And yet mm-hmm. he seems terrified of getting his head cut off by the green knight. Now, granted, I would be too. But he's previously already seen that the green girdle will protect him from getting his head cut off. And so it isn't clear how much of that is just the natural kind of... Uh, flinching you would do if someone were swinging a a weapon at your neck or how much of it is that he really doesn't trust that this is going to to work yeah and i think this is why this poem did not go over well in class and i think this is why this poem doesn't go over well generally in academia Mm -hmm. because there's really no there's no direct answer i think the main i think the big question about how ironically it's to be read is to me the least interesting question. For me, the more interesting question is the role of game playing in the poem. The poem mm-hmm. is just filled with games within games within games. Head games, real games, all yes. that. <laughs> so we think we have the outermost game of the Green Knight is challenging Arthur in his court. Sorry, the Green Knight, uh, there's the beheading game. And then Gawain thinks he knows the rules to that game. That if I cut the guy's head off, he'll be dead. But he doesn't really understand the rules of the game because when he cuts the guy's head off, he doesn't die. So then Gawain thinks, well, okay, I have to go fulfill my, I have to go fulfill this. And when he end, when he goes to, to Sir Bertilak and Lady Bertilak's castle, he engages in a game with Sir Bertilak that he thinks he understands, but he doesn't. And so he doesn't know that the temptations he's getting from Lady Bertilak are also a game that then are part of a mm-hmm. bigger game that they're playing with him. So in that case, he thinks he's being clever. He thinks Sir Bertilak doesn't understand the game every time he gives him a kiss and acts like he's just greeting him, when in fact he's fulfilling that side of the that side of the bargain. So he can say, "Well, I technically did." Right. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, he thinks he's being sneaky, but again, he's the one who is being uh, tricked. And then when he gets to the last point where the Green Knight is, uh, you know, swinging the axe at him. He thinks that's all about, you know, getting his head cut off. But in fact, it's to see, will he flinch, right? That's another little game. Mm-hmm. Talk about head games. Yes, and when everything's revealed at the end, he discovers, in fact, the whole thing was part of a much bigger game, which was a test from Morgan Le Fay to King Arthur that had nothing to do with Gawain. He was just a pawn, a big character in this. It could have been anybody oh who God. got up. It had nothing yeah. to do with him. 
And he just got caught up in the whole thing. Uh, and so because of that, there are all these games within games. Whenever Gawain thinks he understands the rules to a game, he tries to kind of be sneaky about it and it fails. Whenever he doesn't know the rules of the game, someone else is being sneaky with him and he fails. Uh, so uh, we, we can look at this in a kind of more general way. But the fact that the other three poems we have from the Gawain poet are all about Christian morality. I do think it's a fair question to ask about, about Christian morality and deception and honor and these kinds of questions in it. Uh, not just knightly honor, but really Christian honor, a, a more religious uh, way of looking at it. So speaking of religion and Christianity, can we talk about the significance of Gawain's shield? Mm -hmm. So Gawain has two symbols throughout the Sir Gawain the Green Knight. The first one is his shield, which we are told in great detail and what it symbolizes. Very much so, yeah. And later on, that gets replaced by the green girdle, right? Or the green, the green mm -hmm. sash. And so we're told that it has five fives on it. Uh, it's a pentangle, which is a kind of, uh, it's like a pentagram, but it's unbroken. It's more a symbol of infinity. And the poet straight up tells us that each of the five points represents five fives, the five knightly virtues, the five wounds of Christ, the, I can't remember what the five things are, but they're five things which are all supposed to represent sort of Christian morality and goodness. And mm -hmm. at the center of his shield is uh, the Virgin Mary, which may later on be an ironic symbol uh, because there is this kind of temptation regarding his own, his own virginity. Now, interestingly enough, in some older Arthurian legends, I'm thinking Geoffrey Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain, the person who has a shield that has the Virgin Mary at the center of it is King Arthur uh, in, in that mm -hmm. case. I don't believe it has the pentangle or, or any of those things in it. And so how we understand that is definitely that that is a symbol of ultimate knightly virtue, that the shield is a symbol of ultimate knightly virtue. However, what's not clear to us in this how we read this depends on how ironic we see the ending. Is this a young Gawain and this shield are the knightly virtues he aspires to live by and he can't. And so he replaces it with the green girdle to show his shame. Or is this the older Gawain who, who Lady Bertilak has heard all about, uh, who is, has the shield and is basically saying, yeah, that's my symbol. I'm the most awesome knight, the unbroken symbol of knightly virtue. That's me. And then his false humility gets turned into real humility through the course of, of the events. Um, but I think it is safe to say it has to do with really what the virtues of a knight are. But does it do any protecting his shield? Like metaphorical protecting or physical protecting? I mean, I don't actually, I think it's interesting that he's <laughs> taking the shield. We're told all about his shield, but the very yeah. nature of the game is that the shield will never be used. It, yeah. He has to lay down the shield in order to, in order to offer his head to be chopped off by the green knight. Yeah. His defenses have to come down. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's a perfectly valid reading. All right. Do you want to move on to some recommendations then? Sure. So one of the questions that's been asked of me many times is what version of Sir Gawain the Green Knight would you recommend? There are lots of translations. And in fact, there are many great translations of Sir Gawain the Green Knight. And so, although I'm going to mention two of them, I don't think anyone should should hear from this. The other ones are garbage. Uh, there are just many, many good ones. Uh, one that yeah. I'm sure many of our, our nerdy uh, pop medieval listeners here will like is, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien has a translation. Tolkien's translation is really trying to get at a kind of old-timey, I guess, 
uh, sound for it in the way that you would expect Tolkien to do. And so if you're looking for that kind mm-hmm. of those atmospherics, I think Tolkien's a really good uh, choice for that. But if you're looking for something that is accurate, but maybe feels a little more updated, I think there's a good translation by Simon Armitage, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E, that I think is of the of the most recent ones, maybe will, might be a little more readable and will help you get at the, the basic elements of the plot. So you think that one's more approachable for someone who's just interested? Yeah, I do getting, think so. Uh, okay, yeah, okay. And, and I would say like, if you're interested in reading it for the pleasure of sort of diving into this, this world, I would say read Tolkien's. If you're interested in reading it for, I, I kind of really want to understand the plot of this in detail. I'd read mm-hmm. Armitage's in that case. Okay. So how about you? Do you have a recommendation for us today? I do. I do. Uh, so over the summer, I was on another podcast as a guest. My friends Eric and Emily have their own podcast. It's called Diamonds in the Rough Draft. The gist of their podcast is they go through old rough drafts or old copies of previous works that they've written before, be that poems or short stories or the like, and they read them to each other while drinking a, a fine stout, really good beer. And I am all about that. Both, by the way. <laughs> they also have a nice discussion topic that they have as well. They read out their poems and then they offer each other constructive criticism about how they would update their written work. I was their first guest on their podcast and I was on episode nine. Lots of opportunities to plug yourself, which yes, that is a euphemism there. I read a uh, poem I wrote in college. So if you were interested in whatever I was writing and have been hesitant about buying anything, then please check that podcast out. And also we talk about uh, some mythology and some feminism, a little bit more of my wheelhouse where I take the lead on that rather than in this podcast where I play the student and you're the pedagogue here. (laughs) So (laughs) please check out that podcast. You can listen to it on just about every podcast platform. Okay, great. And just Mm -hmm. a reminder, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this right as it drops, We do have a forthcoming episode on the movie, The Green Knight, but uh, A, we haven't recorded that yet as as of this point. Uh, B, uh, if you're listening to this just as it comes out, it won't be out yet, but uh, maybe if you're listening later on, uh, you might want to skip ahead to listen to these two episodes as a pair. That might be interesting for some people. We'd recommend that. Yeah. All right. Anything else for the good of the cause? Um, If you are celebrating... Christmas or New Year's and you are looking for games, please don't say that out loud. Just celebrate Festivus instead. <laughs> lots of wrestling, lots of polls, you know. You don't want any armed well, I'm sorry, no, he wasn't armed. He didn't No, he had a, an axe and no armor on, didn't he? The Green Knight. Yes. I well, maybe yeah. his armor was green. No, I, I can't remember. He had a holly bow. Yeah, he had a holly bow and an axe and no, he didn't have an axe. He had a holly bow and he, he marched in on his horse. So don't whatever you do, don't just be careful what you ask for. You don't want a green knight busting up in your place. Yeah, I think a good recommendation for Christmas, of course, we're recording this in the summer or the beginning of the fall, really. But uh, a good recommendation for Christmas is uh, don't make chopping people's heads off part of your regular Christmas festivities. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that's OK. <laughs> certainly certainly liven the place up at my family's gathering all right party with nina's family i'll show up there i'll see (laughs) you this christmas we'll see what happens you got it you got it west through hall doc west through hall nina pop and evil was recorded in our cable studio hosts are dr richard scott noakes and nina mcnamara our audio engineer is engineer mike music is courtesy of dr john jinwright 
For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. And the third time, finally, Sir Ber- uh Gosh, start it. I got to start over. I'm sorry, Michael. I know I'm making this hard. All right. One more time. And if I screw it up this time, we're going to have to use one of the previous ones.